Hello, and thank you for downloading this week's edition of Power Bombs and Potables on the Podcast Potables Network. Brought to you by the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Untapped at Process Potables. For pro wrestling news, talk, and more information, follow us on Twitter at PowerBombsPPN. For news, info on breweries that we've worked with, and much more, check out www.processpotables.com. On this week's episode, I watch about 18 hours of wrestling in 6 hours so that you don't have to. Everything from WWE to AEW to Impact to NXT. So much more to, to unwrap and talk about on this week's episode of Power Bombs and Potables. Welcome to this week's edition of Power Bombs and Potables. My name's Corey Oates, your host, and what a week we had in pro wrestling. I actually got a chance to catch up on Impact Wrestling. I'm excited to talk about that. Uh, Monday Night Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW. But first, let's dive into this week's Quick Sips. For this week's episode, I'm drinking a Furthermore Brewing Company from Black River Falls, Wisconsin, it's a fatty boom balati. Yeah, it's really not easy to say quick. It's a Belgian style ale, and this thing, really, really good. I, en- I enjoyed this one uh, by the people at Furthermore Brewing in Black River Falls, Wisconsin. First of all, on some beer-related news, the Good Brothers, Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows, have made quite the rumbling on the internet the past week since being released from the WWE. It's inevitable that they're going back to New Japan once their 90-day no-compete is uh, lifted. But in the beer-related news, Luke Gallows broke the news on his Twitter that they are working with Jarfly Brewing Company out of Somerset, Kentucky to create a Good Brothers slash Talk and Shop, their podcast, uh, working on a collaborative beer. Very excited and hope that we'll be able to actually get our hands on that to talk about on the podcast. For the Wednesday Night Wars this week, AEW got some ground back as they were missing the last two weeks. AEW had a solid 731,000 viewers to NXT 665,000. The Wrestling Observer first reported the news that AEW will start up tapings again on May the 6th at Daly's Place in Jacksonville, Florida. We're told that some of the shows will air live on TNT, and some will be live to tape. As previously reported, the governor of Florida deemed sports with a national audience as an essential service as long as the shows are filmed without an audience. This obviously allowed AEW the ability to resume filming in Jacksonville, just like it did with the WWE. Prior to that, AEW had relocated from Daly's Place to the Nightmare Factory in Georgia where they filmed content to get through a few weeks of television. WWE has confirmed that there will be no launch for this year's game under the 2K umbrella, but 2K announced that uh, on today, 
May the 27th at noon Eastern that they will be making an exciting announcement, I'm assuming related to something WWE. Cody Rhodes took part in an AMA on Wednesday with Bleacher Report where he gave an honest update on a possible AEW video game. Replying to a fan when asked when a possible video game could come out, Rhodes replied with the digital Q&A session with the following. I'll give the honest update. The AEW video game will be something all fans know about as we begin the process and as we move forward with it. If we are able to make a very good game, which is our intention, it's going to take time. Game development is arduous. It's a very creative space and we want to do it right. We will keep people updated. It won't come as a surprise. We want them to take the journey with us. Be extra patient so we know we can deliver. Back in July, Matt Jackson confirmed that there had already been talk of a possible video game for the promotion, and Kenny Omega has also said that he has made it his personal mission to bring back the classic AKI engine used for the famous wrestling games such as No Mercy and WrestleMania 2000. Cody furthered the speculation surrounding this at C2E2 in March after saying there is a very specific type of game that people want. There is a very specific engine that people want before adding that Omega would have an announcement about it soon. Cash Wheeler, the former Dash Wilder, revealed that the revival will now be known as The Revolt by posting a video on his Twitter page where the end says, Fear The Revolt. A play off the FTR that they have been using since the Elite on their Being Elite series, on their Being The Elite series several years ago, uh, started referring to them as, well, F The Revival when they consistently were calling them for matches that we can only assume are going to be happening within the next year. Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Issa Rae are reportedly developing a scripted HBO series about a backyard wrestling promotion. The series is currently titled Tracent, T-R-E space C-N-T, <laughs> and Variety reports this show is about Cassius Jones, a young dock worker and a struggling pro wrestler who uses inherited life insurance money to start up cash and deed to a shotgun house from his grandfather to start a hip-hop-centric backyard wrestling empire in Houston's Third Ward, the Trey, with the help of his working-class family, neighbors, and friends. Johnson and Danny Garcia will executive produce the show with Iram Garcia at Seven Bucks Productions. Ray and Montrell McKay will also executive produce through Issa Ray Productions. The Rock's HBO show Ballers ended last uh, October. Uh, Issa Ray's show Insecure is currently in its fourth season on the HBO network. And finally in the news, if you liked cinematic matches at WrestleMania, well then you're in luck. Because Vince McMahon says WWE will be making similar, quote-unquote, mini-movies going forward to deal with the current environment. During a WWE investor call Thursday afternoon uh, about the first quarter earnings, McMahon began by talking about where the company currently stands amidst the COVID-19 pandemic. Vince then touched in WWE running shows from the Performance Center and confirmed plans to do more cinematic-style matches to make the product continue to feel special. Here is what he said in full. It's interesting to look at what happened once we went to, in essence, our studio, which is our performance center. There really wasn't, especially on SmackDown, there really wasn't that much difference in terms of where we were in terms of where we are now. It's a challenging environment, obviously, but nonetheless, you've got to take advantage of that challenging environment and somehow make it, obviously, 
as good as it can, but make it special. So we've done certain things we're going to do more of. For instance, getting out of that environment and doing, in essence, mini movies, like we did at WrestleMania and many other personality profiles that we do a whole lot better and will. And that's it for this week's, and that's it for this week's quick sips. Let's start to run down Monday Night Raw, shall we? Drew McIntyre opens up the show and challenges Seth Rollins to a match at Money in the Bank. Change, you'd think that the heel would be challenging the babyface, but no, the babyface champion comes out here and challenges the heel Seth Rollins to a match at Money in the Bank. Zelina Vega comes out with Austin Theory and Angel Garza. Andrade attacks Drew from behind. Drew gets a Claymore, and nobody wants to hit the ring. Very strange way to start off this show. Uh, we already find out right after this that we're going to have our main event as Angel Garza versus Drew McIntyre. Up next, Alistair Black versus Austin Theory in a Money in the Bank qualifying match. Uh, I'll lead with this and say that this was definitely the best Money in the Bank qualifying match so far. Zelina Vega on commentary with the King bullying Byron Saxon did help to my enjoyment of this match for sure. Austin Theory is getting more and more comfortable, it seems, with each week with putting TV matches together. Uh, this guy had one match on TV with NXT before they pulled him up. This match ends with uh, Aleister Black hitting the Black Mass to advance to the actual Money in the Bank match. Up next, Shayna Baszler ends uh, another quick match by stomping out uh, another jobber's arm. I, I only got the note of Hartwell was the last name of this girl because uh, the match ended so quickly. She put her arm in a ladder and stomped it right into the steps. So this is going to be the new thing for Shanna Baszler. She's just going to be stomping out girls' arms. And I guess that's going to be the next thing that she's going to do to get to Becky Lynch. She is, remember, in the women's Money in the Bank match coming up in just uh, two weeks, I believe, from today. Today being Sunday when I'm recording this. Ricochet and Cedric Alexander versus Shane Thorne and Brendan Vink. Ricochet hits the recoil, and Alexander hits a lumbar check for the win. Simple as that. Carrie Sane versus Nia Jax. Now, this is the match that I think got most of the attention from Monday Night Raw. Now, if you remember last week, these two had a match for a Money in the Bank qualifier where Nia Jax just dominated over Carrie Sane, and I discussed it on the show and how I kind of felt that you just brought Nia Jax back, so obviously, yeah, she needs to run over people, but I kind of felt that you really exposed Carrie Sane, and that's been the continued trend for several months as they fed her when Asuka was feuding with Becky Lynch and the entire time that the Kabuki Warriors were the tag team champions. Here in this situation, this match was nothing like what we saw last week. Uh, Carrie Sane actually had some offense, uh, and a lot of it, actually. She got Nia Jax off her feet, and once she actually got her off her feet, she was getting some moves in. So, all right, that was fine. But the problem is, is these two cannot put a match together to save their lives. This match really did fell apart when Nia Jax picks up Carrie Sane for a powerbomb. Being that there's no audience there, the microphones are picking up everything. They have high-tech equipment with WWE. And Carrie Sane repeatedly yelled, I'm not set. To which Nia Jax just threw her into the corner. Her head and her body just bounced off the bottom two turnbuckles. And it did not look well for Carrie Sane 
At this point, Nia Jax still picked her up and hit the Annihilator, which, if you remember, is a it is a Gorilla Press Slam that she drops into a Samoan drop to get the win. And the internet lashed out all over Nia Jax, who naturally didn't care. It's it's ridiculous. People like that, I get it that she's a monster, but she's just not safe. She keeps injuring these girls, and it's not going to end up well. Eventually, someone's going to have to do something about this. That's not me coming from a a fan and a quote-unquote keyboard internet warrior standpoint. That's coming from somebody who follows sports and sees real injuries all the time. In a sport where, yes, it's supposed to be physical, the whole point is you're supposed to take care of your, your, your partner. It's a dance. And when you're just that careless and are throwing people, you're going to get a bad reputation. And eventually, it's going to come back. Somebody's going to be willing to step to Nia Jax. And we'll see what happens when that takes place, whether or not it's even on television. Next up, we get a Seth Rollins promo. And courtesy of WWE.com, here is what he had to say. You are a brave man, Drew McIntyre. Fighting champion. I admire that. I respect that. You know, not many men know what it's like to walk in your shoes. But I do. Not many men understand what it's like to go into the main event of WrestleMania and beat Brock Lesnar for a WWE championship. But I do. You and I, we've got a lot in common. We really do. We command the respect of our peers. We have a deep, deep love and passion for this industry. I accept your challenge for a WWE Championship match at Money in the Bank. Not out of respect. Not out of disdain. I've got nothing against you, Drew. This isn't personal. I accept your challenge out of necessity. Out of duty. Because right now, more than ever, the WWE Universe needs a leader. I am the one who will sacrifice for the greater good. I am the one who will make the difficult decisions. I am the one who will be the light in the darkness. And money in the bank, Drew. I'm going to take your title. And not because I want to, but because I have to. We come back. MVP Montel Vontavious Porter in yet another match since retiring on WWE against Apollo Crews. Another great, impressive Apollo Crews match. This guy's been doing some good stuff since uh, these last two weeks, and this is just another one of those. MVP continues on the job tour that has been this 2020 WWE run. Uh, Nothing uh, else to say about that. Liv Morgan, Ruby Riot next in a match where, well, Liv Morgan wins. And Liv Morgan won cleanly, and that's one thing that I feel that unless it was a top wrestler, unless Ruby Riot was in a ring against a Becky Lynch, a Charlotte Flair, a Sasha Banks, Ruby Riot 
over the last two years usually wins those matches. And Liv Morgan, they've been they've been putting some some fire behind her, and she gets the win here. So good for Liv Morgan. We'll see where they're going with her uh, in the next couple of weeks. Next up, Bobby Lashley flips a tractor tire. Yes. And then we go back into the arena. Rey Mysterio versus Murphy in a Money in the Bank qualifying match. Rey Mysterio wins this match. Wasn't that good, but Rey Mysterio, you got to also have the with the young guys in the Money in the Bank, you still got to have some of those classic guys for that marquee name. And Rey Mysterio is now in the Money in the Bank match. Next, Charlotte Flair versus Caden Carter in Charlotte's first match since winning the NXT title at Mania. This was a quick match, maybe three minutes. Charlotte wins with the figure eight. Uh, I love squash matches when they are done right. And this is the first of several that I will be discussing on this week's program. Next up on Monday Night Raw, Bobby Lashley flips a monster truck tire. Well, after he attempted it three times. Now, the point of this was to show off the power of Lashley, and I can get behind that if they were actually going to use him right. I mean, it only took two years for them to get and book Drew McIntyre, right? So they're pretty much on pace for that now with, with Bobby Lashley. They've only made him to be the monster to then make him lose because it was consistently convenient to the stories that they've been developing around these guys. Bobby Lashley's a bad motherfucker. He is... A former MMA wrestler, he's been doing that for quite a few years in Bellator before he stepped aside and Jake Hager came in. And he's, look at the guy. The guy is jacked to the gills. You have MVP. Get rid of Lana. Get rid of Lana. Put him back with MVP. I'm not the only person that's been saying this. They worked magic back in the days of Impact in around 2015, 2016. You have them both under contract. They're both at Raw each week. It's way more entertaining at this point than the Lana Bobby Lashley aspect. Up next, Akira Tozawa versus Andrade. I really dug this match. It was a fast-paced, hard-hitting match between these two. Andrade ended up winning with the Hammerlock DDT as Tozawa was perched on the top rope. That looked scary, but it was executed properly. You could tell that Tozawa was uh, in good hands with that move up next the street profits come out on commentary which for as entertaining of a promo as these two are they're very annoying on commentary which i knew from prior weeks so i kind of cringed the second i saw them come out they announced bianca belair and she's going to take on santana garrett santana garrett has been around the indie scene for several years i know that she's been on the may young classic but in this match I just couldn't get out of my head the NXT match that her and Belair had, I want to say, in February on TV, live TV, and the match just fell apart. It was not good at all. Uh, Santana has a good look to her, but she's not very good in the ring. This match is supposed to get Bianca Belair over, and Santana Garrett being just sloppy didn't help Bianca Belair, making her have to work harder for a match that's supposed to be an enhancement match to enhance Bianca Belair. Did I mention how annoying the Street Profits were on commentary? The commentator's job is to get the talent over. All the Street Profits did this entire match was yell, just shout things. 
They contribute absolutely nothing to the match, and it actually hurts getting Bianca Belair over. Tom Phillips, Byron Saxton, Jerry the King would have done a great job getting her over to a new audience. They need to keep her away from the Street Profits at this point, especially because I feel she's a better heel. She's got that sass, and she has a lot that she can do. I'm thinking the reason why they made her a babyface is, well, because they paired it with the Street Profits, who are the babyface tag team champions, but because the babyface side is kind of hurting on Monday Night Raw, and she's a fresh face. And she's a fresh face. Bianca Belair wins with the KOD. Main event for Monday Night Raw, Drew McIntyre. Main event for Monday Night Raw, Drew McIntyre versus Angel Garza. So the first thing I noticed is you have Drew McIntyre, who's probably about six foot seven, easily handling three young guys that are in smaller stature, all their heels, that they're trying to get over as a new group. Only in its second week that they've really been pushing this. And as they're trying to attack him, he's taking him out like it was absolutely nothing. Drew even hit a diving tope over the top rope, taking out all three of them at this point. The only offense that Angel Garza had in this match was a reversal into a roll-up that Drew kicked out of and went right into a claymore for the win. What a way to get over your new champion, and what a way to kill a guy who's one week ago, they made him and his faction out to be super strong. Drew gets uh, back in the ring and hits Garza with another Claymore, and then hits one on Austin Theory. My thoughts are, are, man, what a badass monster heel we have on our hands here. Oh wait, this is our babyface champion. Even when Hulk Hogan would win a match when there's three people in the ring, he would probably just dump him over the top rope and pose. The coming back in to take out the, the, the scraps, essentially, that are left over is very heelish. And it kind of doesn't make sense for the babyface champion to be doing. Next up to talk about this week. Finally, I got myself caught up on Impact Wrestling. I watched the last few weeks uh, from back in March all the way till now to get caught up. Uh, the first thing is David Penzer is back as their ring announcer. So the nostalgic 90s fan in me is happy to see that. Uh, of course, probably my selfish favorite, Don Callis, has been quarantined in Canada. So the super elitist is uh, not there to announce. So we get the team of Josh Matthews and his real-life wife, Madison Rain, which, again, isn't as bad as it sounds because they do have a natural chemistry, being the fact that they're married in real life and... She plays the heel part pretty well. So I'm okay with that. This was week one of what was supposed to be Impact's Rebellion pay-per-view uh, that was originally slated for an actual pay-per-view to emanate from the Terminal 5, I believe, in New York City. It was going to be in New York. I think it was going to be at Terminal 5. Uh, it's the first new episode of Impact with no audience as they had several weeks taped in Atlanta prior to the shutdown. Uh, they, too, have adapted and borrowed the Ring of Honor camera shot where the straight-ahead is the screen in the background. They've darkened the audience, but there's no one in the audience, and it really came through on this broadcast. Uh, you could hear a pin drop, literally, throughout this show. That was probably the only rough thing that I would say about the overall look and atmosphere to the show. Uh, the announcers aren't even in the arena. That's another thing I should add. It was definitely added in post-production. 
Uh, first up, OVE and Rhino uh, take on Tommy Dreamer and a mystery partner, which turns out to be the impact return of Crazy Steve, who has been gone for several years. I remember that he had signed a contract with NXT, but I never saw him make a debut, so I guess at some point they had to have let him go. I honestly hadn't followed what they had done with him, so if they never did anything, with good good for him. Let him go back to Impact. Uh, Rosemary's still there. Obviously, Abyss is gone, but... You know, what are you, you going to do? They were the two young people of the group, and now they're back there. Rhino hits a gore for the win. Good opening match to this pay-per-view. Uh, I'm not going to talk about the match that was after this. I thought that it was not really meant for a pay-per-view anyway. It was kind of there to be there. Up next, Eddie Edwards, they announced, is out of the three-way main event match for the World Heavyweight title with Tessa and Michael Elgin. Uh, that match is going to air on this coming week, part two of their Rebellion show. So we'll have to see the fate of the Impact World title this coming Tuesday night. Up next, Willie Mack versus Ace Austin in the X Division title match. The story here is that Rich Swan, who is Willie Mack's partner, got injured several months back while him and Mack were working their way up the tag division. Uh, the last four or five weeks, Ace Austin, uh, who who is one of the best young shithead heels that Impact has, he's been running with the X Division title now for several months. And uh, he started interfering with Rich Swan promos, and Willie Mack took offense to this. Uh, so here we go. Willie Mack defending his friend, against Ace Austin for the X Division title. The highlight of this match was when Willie Mack went coast-to-coast coast on, on Ace Austin, uh, which is a cool spot. Willie Mack is well over 300 pounds, and he just gracefully flew across the ring. Uh, the end of this match was kind of weird to me, though. This is where I kind of lost the, uh, the, the, the good feelings about this match that I had. Uh, Willie Mack was crotched on the top rope, facing the outside of the ring. At this point, Ace Austin climbed up to the top rope. Uh, Willie Mack then stands up and then just drops down and stuns Ace Austin on the top rope. Now, naturally, you'd think he would just fall back. No, 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 no. The natural thing when you get stunned, apparently, while someone's on the top rope, is you do a backflip into the middle of the ring. That's where it got hokey to me. Uh, Willie Mack hits the six-star frog splash to win the X Division title. Rich Swan comes out to the stage. Uh, it looks like he's walking now, so I guess he's going to be good to go soon enough. Uh, I'm sure that these two are going to end up feuding over that X Division title. Up next, Kylie Ray, Kira Hogan. I'm still trying to figure out why Kylie Ray left AEW. If you remember, she, I believe, was the second female that they had signed to AEW. I know that Britt Baker was number one. Brandy was there, but they never really announced it. Kylie Ray came in along with Nyla Rose. But all of a sudden, she worked that Double, double or Nothing pay-per-view, the first official AEW pay-per-view last May. And then she asked her for her release and was gone from the scene for a long time, was doing some indies, and now she has popped up and has officially signed with Impact. Uh, Kylie Ray has some impressive spots here, uh, but there's also some rough spots. Uh, I feel that she'd actually do pretty well in the NXT system based on her character and how athletic she is. She's got a very athletic build and she can really mat wrestle and move around the ring pretty well. But I still feel that there's some finishing that she needs an overall development to her character, which impact isn't really going to provide her. 
Uh, I believe that Impact works with Ohio Valley Wrestling now, but I don't think that they're going to be able to send her to any type of finishing school. They pretty much are, hey, here's here's what you are, and this is where it goes, which is why when these guys are even in TNA sometimes for years, they go to NXT and they're still there for a while because they still have some stuff that they could brush up on. The NXT system, uh, while it does have its flaws for making everybody the same, it also has its positives because it really can help enhance the people that are just missing that that little something. Kylie Ray wins with the STF. Uh, with more reps, I definitely think that she's going to end up finding her stride as a, as a top woman in the knockouts division, which hopefully is the, the case, being that she's now under a long-term contract with them. Our main event of night number one is Sammy Callahan, who has adapted a hacker persona. I talked about this a couple weeks ago. It's basically, I guess, what he thought Solomon Crow should have been, but he's now just adapted that to the Sammy Callahan character. Versus Ken Shamrock. Yes, that Ken Shamrock. Former UFC heavyweight champion Ken Shamrock. Former WWF Intercontinental Champion in the late 90s Ken Shamrock. Yes, in 2020, part one of your main event of your pay-per-view, it features Ken Shamrock. This match started in the arena with brawling outside the ring. This match never makes it inside of the ring. Shamrock does maybe one of the worst dives off of a stage I've ever seen. This stage was perhaps maybe three feet off of the ground. He gets a running start too, and he somehow trips over one of the lights. I can't really explain how this happened, but it probably makes sense that a 50-some-year-old man trying to do a dive, which I don't think I've ever seen him do even in his 30s, uh, and how that couldn't, you know, horribly go wrong they fight to the back as they go to a commercial break so when we come back from this commercial break we're now in a cinematic setting all right we're in almost like a like a backstage boiler room-esque setting where these two are uh are, are taking this match and and this is this match is where things get you know kind of downhill from here um uh, Sammy uses a chain on Ken. Eventually, OVE gets involved. Now, OVE is Sammy's former group, Ohio versus everyone, who, since he's been back, keeps coming to help him out in the ring, but then Sammy walks out on them. They get involved in this, and then Sammy turns on them, which had been teased a few weeks back, but at this point, Sammy's officially, I guess, distanced himself from them, and this is the full turn. The only problem is that this would kind of make Sammy a babyface by turning on the other three heels in the group that he brought in. Um, but but thankfully, Sammy's such a shithead character that for this interest for uh, for this instance, I'm going to just ignore that that would ever even be the possibility here. The match ends when Sammy passes out to the ankle lock, lying face first in a parking lot. So, yeah, as much as Sammy ended up laying face first in the parking lot, this match ended super flat to end night one of Impact Rebellion. So I'm going to keep up with Impact, and we will get night two discussion on next week's edition of Powerbombs and Potables. 
All right, on to Wednesday night. The wars have continued. We already discussed who won the night, but what happened on Wednesday night? AEW opens up with a really cool pre-tape package of Cody talking about the importance of the TNT Championship and where he falls into the place of this tournament. I highly encourage you to go out of your way to find this opening video. It's about three minutes long because watching it is going to do way more justice than me explaining it. So what I'm doing for you is telling you that you should go watch this video if you did not see it. We get another week of Chris Jericho and Tony on commentary, which has been the highlight of my week each week for the last couple of weeks uh, on TV. Uh, this First match saw Sammy Guevara versus Darby Allen in the TNT title tournament quarterfinal. Now, remember, remember a couple weeks back when we first announced this bracket, I had Sammy Guevara winning this whole tournament, especially if this is a title that's going to be defended on TV each week. I look back at the old television title from the NWA Crockett days, where the premise of that was to be defended on TV each week. Usually, what would happen is, is there's a 10 minute time limit. So if the match went 11 minutes and the champion got beat, well, the champion got beat, but he doesn't lose the title because the title time limit was 10 minutes, which would usually eventually build up to a bigger show or back then it was the house shows because on the TV, they couldn't win the match. So then, well, come to the house shows where now there's going to be a 20 minute title sprint and then a 20-minute title span, and then, you know, the champion would lose in 21 minutes, and so on and so forth. This is actually the reason, you know, sidebar, I've gone down the rabbit hole, but this is the reason why Ricky Steamboat left the NWA in the 80s and went to the WWF and had the run that he did. The title match that they're still talking about to today is one of the greatest, if not the greatest, WrestleMania match against Randy Savage, and WrestleMania 3 would have never happened had they put the belt Finally, on Ricky Steamboat, they were doing this with Tully Blanchard, and then eventually they put Dusty Rhodes in there, and Dusty Rhodes beat him in 10 minutes. And at that point, Ricky Steamboat felt that they were, weren't using him properly. Just some fun fictional fact there and history of how the TV title worked back in the day. But I really feel that that's what they're getting to with the TNT title tournament here. It's going to be a TV-esque title, just with an updated, more modernized, I guess, name, if you will, for this for this belt. But before this match even starts, Sammy attacks Darby Allen. Uh, I found it fun here. Jericho makes fun of the fact that people have been complaining that there's been barricades around the ringside with no audience. Well, first of all, AEW has an audience. So if you call it that, but I mean, it's still more than any of the other shows have. They have the wrestlers around the ringside, which makes a world of difference uh, with the noise that you need when you're watching these shows. So at this point, Jericho makes mention that it's it's there so that you can use it to hold weapons. And he's saying this as Sammy's laying a ladder, perching it across the ring apron to the guardrail. Now, he sets Darby across this ladder, and he does a splash from the top rope. Now, this was a very real ladder. It did not break. It didn't bend. It did nothing. What happened was... As he comes flying from the top rope down, him and Darby both literally bounced off of it and flew onto the ground. This looked rough, but from a realistic standpoint, I loved it because 
Darby looked like he really got injured from this, which, if you're asking me, makes more sense because if you're the heel trying to take out your opponent before the match even starts, what a better way. Don't try and hurt yourself. Try and take out your opponent. So I, I appreciated that. Sammy, at this point, eventually hits a 730, which is super cool, on the Darby Allen, And eventually, Darby hooks Sammy with a really awesome leg lock uh, that he rolls into a pin called the Last Supper to get the win. Now, it's a cool finish because it doesn't hurt Sammy. He, he didn't tap out. He didn't lose to a finish. He literally got hooked and trapped in a pin that he couldn't get out of. A very realistic looking pin. I think that is one of the coolest moves that I have seen in wrestling in a long time. So, uh, as for my pick, well, I guess I was wrong because Darby Allen has now advanced into the tournament. So we're going to now get Darby Allen versus Cody Rhodes in the semifinals of the TNT title tournament. We get a Matt Hardy promo where he starts as broken and cuts all this nonsense that even I, somebody who's really enjoyed the broken character, kind of, he lost me on it. And then he switches into regular Matt Hardy and does a whole nother two minutes of that as Matt Hardy. Go find it if you're really interested as to what it is. It's really not anything worth talking about. Uh, the only thing he does is he challenges Sammy Guevara to that elite deletion match, being that Chris Jericho has not accepted his challenge yet. And Sammy apparently brought it up last week on the Bubbly Bunch segment. Up next, Alan Angels versus Kenny Omega. Now, I'll start by saying that this match caused a huge disturbance over Twitter between Ryan Satin of Pro Wrestling Sheep and Dave Meltzer of The Wrestling Observer, two of the biggest news sources that you find on the quote-unquote dirt sheets uh, in 2020. Obviously, Dave Meltzer going back well over 30 years, uh, but... The argument was over why was Kenny Omega giving this guy, this guy being Alan Angels, so much offense in a match that was supposed to be a squash match. My side is I will say that I agree that Kenny Omega, who's been very cold since coming to AEW from New Japan, where he was looked at as the most beloved star, the number one ranked wrestler in the world. He's come to America and he was supposed to set this world on fire. And besides the two matches that we've discussed, that Iron Man with Pac and the Rebellion tag team title match with Hangman against the Bucks, he has not done anything to impress the people who haven't seen him but have only heard about him up to this point. So right now, I feel that squash matches on this show should be used to highlight your stars. You shouldn't be using people who aren't under contract with your company that are used week in and week out to be squashed, to give them as much offense as Alan Angels got here. Sure, Omega ended up winning this match, but he gave way too much offense to this guy, and this isn't even the first time that this has happened. Kenny Omega is being very generous to these people, but what it's doing is it's making him look so mid-card, mid-tier for a guy that three years ago, like I said, was the most beloved wrestler on the face of the earth, the number one ranked wrestler in PWI's 500. 
he is more middle of the pack at this point. And it's, it's a shame because he's now in his prime years of his career and he's had the quick dissension. Scorpio Sky uh, has a pre-tape package that is done really well. It introduces Scorpio Sky to an audience who may not know him, as well as his journey in pro wrestling. Now, after all, he's only been in the mainstream for about two years now since uh, they added him to SCU. Back uh, in 2016, SCU was in Ring of Honor, and then they just added Scorpio Sky, it seemed almost overnight one week, he was there, and he really became a critical part of this team. I believe this is only part one. They're going to continue with the story, but the story has been done very well so far. It's going to help him get more acquainted with the household audience that are watching him each week. And I feel this is a great tool that they should be using for a lot of these guys during uh, this quarantine. Use your TV time that you have to get them to know your wrestlers. Even with that, we're, we live in an age with YouTube. By, by people being interested in the things that they've done, they can look up old matches of these people and really actually get more of an appreciation for them to look forward to the next thing that they do. That's just my two cents on that situation. Up next, Orange Cassidy versus Jimmy Havoc. All right, now I'm not a fan of Jimmy Havoc at all. That being said, I'm really not a fan of Orange Cassidy either. However, I will say that I enjoy how beloved Orange Cassidy is by the audience. The crowd is the reason why Orange Cassidy comes off as a star. If you recall that match he had with Pac back at, at Revolution, he came off as possibly the second or third most over-wrestler on that entire pay-per-view. And that's saying something. This, I believe, was Orange Cassidy's first Dynamite match one-on-one -on -one so far. Basically, my thing with Orange Cassidy is this. I'm not saying that he can't wrestle. I'm not saying that he can't have a great match. Again, look at that Revolution match. But his character and his moveset, along with it, is not something that could ever be your company's world champion. A mainstream company's world champion. Uh, he, he's a novelty act. It's really what he is. And at best... It needs the crowd to come across as him being special and unique to the audience that is watching at home. So without the audience to actually react in the way that you need him to, when this guy puts his hands in his pocket and you pan out to that crowd and they're all on their feet and they're going nuts, that's what makes him come off as a star. Just those things. But when he's in an empty arena where the only thing is that you see is a giant screen. There's just an awkward disconnect that is just not, not, not good. That's really all I can say about that. This match also was not good. It could be because Jimmy Havoc was in the ring. Uh, it could be because Orange Cassidy didn't really have a leader like Pac running the match to make it work. Eventually, uh, Penelope Ford and Kip Sabian jump the guardrail and try to cause a distraction. I guess they're buddies because Kip Sabian's from the UK is along with Jimmy Havoc. <sighs> Penelope Ford jumps the guardrail. She climbs the top rope and she dives off Orange Cassidy ducks and then turns around and does this really awkward roll up that takes forever to put on and wins the match. This match wins this week's 
garbage match of the week award from me. It was not good. It had no right making air on national television with a multi-million dollar TV deal that they are being paid out by TNT. Up next, Lee Johnson versus Wardlow. This is the second title match we've up next, Lee Johnson versus Wardlow. This is the second match we've seen of Wardlow besides his match with Cody in the cage back from Dynamite in February in Atlanta. This was everything that a squash match should be. The other guy is essentially in there to be destroyed and used to highlight the moveset of the guy who he's in the ring with. Wardlow wins with an airplane spin toss, which looked nasty. The match was over very quick and... Everybody goes home. Simple, simple storytelling that has been the, the, the foundation of professional wrestling for several years. Next up, Brody Lee versus Justin Law. Another face that we've seen week after week as an enhancement talent. Another properly booked squash match showing off the power of Brody Lee. Brody Lee wins the match. Wow. Back-to-back squash matches done properly. Now, here's where they announce next week we're going to see Marco Stunt versus Brody Lee for the show. I can only pray that Marco Stunt does not get a single move in on this match. I don't know if I mentioned it before, but I fucking hate Marco Stunt. I'm not saying he's a bad person. I'm not saying that he can't quote-unquote, wrestle. But, like I've said before, you bring in a monster like Brody Lee. You cannot convince me, cannot convince me, that Marco Stunt could legitimately injure or do anything to this man. So I don't want to see it happen. I don't believe it. Keep it off my TV. Keep your big men strong. And that's all I have to say about that. The main event for Dynamite this week is Dustin Rhodes versus Superbad Kip Sabian. Uh, Dustin is out with Brandy, and Kip is out with Penelope Ford. If Dustin loses this match, he has announced earlier in the week that he will retire. This match wasn't a match of the year candidate, but it was what it needed to be. Uh, This is by far the best Kip Sabian match that I've seen to date. I feel that a lot of that is because he's in the ring with Dustin uh, who's such a beloved character and a ring general at this point. Let's be real. It's, it, Dustin's got over 30 years experience in that ring and he knows how to make people look good. This match does kind of fall apart. Um, if you ask me when Brandy and Penelope Ford get involved, uh, somehow Brandy chases Penelope into the ring, hits her with a spear and then rolls her out of the ring. Dustin then hits the code red, his version of the Canadian destroyer for the win. Big important thing I said right there. He hit the Canadian Destroyer for the win. Petey Williams created that move, and it was one of the cool things in TNA back in the early 2000s. You had AJ Styles with the Styles Clash, which has since been taken from other people, and you had the Canadian Destroyer, which has now become more of a transition spot for people to do. And Dustin, it's cool to see Dustin at 51, I believe he is, doing this move, but he, he does it and he uses it as a finish which is what it should be. So I'm glad that it was used as the finish and not a transition. So next week, we are going to get our semifinals for this TNT tournament. Darby Allen versus Cody and Lance Archer versus the natural Dustin Rhodes. 
We move on to NXT Wednesday night. Velveteen Dream comes out and cuts a promo on the ring post. He's perched like Finn Balor does for his pose uh, during his entrance. Uh, really quick, though, Adam Cole makes his return to TV. Now, I was talking about this last week. I didn't know if he was quarantining, if he was injured, or what was going on, because for weeks we just only saw pre-tapes of this guy, but he's back. And him, uh, Roddy, and Bobby Fish attack the Dream from behind. Keith Lee comes out to make the save. So tonight we're going to get Keith Lee and the Velveteen Dream versus Bobby Fish and Adam Cole. Now, up next... Shotzi Blackheart and Tegan Knox versus Raquel Gonzalez and Dakota Kai. Let's start off with the things that I hate about this. I hate the mini tank that Shotzi rides out on. All right. It's just too out there for me. All right. And, and there's no way that this is actually going to be something that they would ever use on the main roster. So why are you using it now? It's She did it on the pay-per-view on her debut. Okay, whatever. I guess it was a cool thing. But it looks fucking stupid with this adult woman riding a toy camo tank truck down to the ring and running it into the steps. It just it looks horrible and it's a waste of time and resources. I hate the fact that for the second week in a row, they've made Raquel Gonzalez not seem like the muscle she is. Now, remember, I used to complain that she was doing too much. Now she's not doing enough. They pulled the gas off her completely instead of just a little bit. I look at Raquel Gonzalez as if she's China back in 1997. China didn't wrestle but would step in when she was needed. Uh, at first, Gonzalez was stepping in too much, but now they're just having her wrestle with Dakota Kai. Well, last week it was a singles match, and this week with Dakota Kai, and she's wrestling just like and anybody else is on her level. She's the tallest one in this ring. I believe besides Charlotte and Rhea Ripley, she's the tallest girl in that division. She's built muscular. She's she's very intimidating. And so I don't get why you're letting everybody get equal offense on her. It it, it blows my mind that they're doing this. Uh, so it's, it's not a good way to book her if you ask me. This match did absolutely nothing for me. Gonzalez won... With a one-armed powerbomb, which was which was cool. It looked it looked good, uh, but this whole match felt like it was a match for purely the sake of a match. Served absolutely no purpose, even though there's been an ongoing storyline with these four. Up next, Drake Maverick versus Jake Atlas in a Group A matchup for the NXT Cruiserweight Title Tournament. This is the first match for Drake Maverick since being released. Uh, WWE used that video that he posted on Twitter that had over 2 million views, uh, as well as filming extra footage of him to hype up the importance of the tournament uh, to Drake Maverick and, and what he needs. Uh, even my girlfriend looked up from reading a book during this promo, and she says to me, he was crying. And I was like, well, yeah, it's strange what happens with the person's, you know, someone's attention when you get somebody to cut a promo that's raw and emotional and real. It's not scripted. It hooks you in the in the right way. It's truly a lost art with, with the world of, of scripts that WWE runs off of. They actually do small little promos to build everybody. It's very reminiscent of the Cruiserweight Classic, because remember, a lot of the people in the Cruiserweight Classic, uh, as well as even the Mae Young Tournament, 
are people that you don't really know up the Indies. So they put together packages uh, with some highlights of the thing that these people have done just to try and get you up to date with maybe who they are and what they can do uh, in, in about a 60 second time frame prior to getting to the match. Uh, these two do a good job of reminding us that we haven't seen many matches of Drake Maverick one-on-one -on -one in WWE, and that it's interesting that he's actually in this tournament. It's not something that I actually thought about. It is a great point that they brought up here. Um, in the end, Jake Atlas ends up winning this match with a crazy cartwheel DDT, where he does a cartwheel across the top rope. He's standing in the corner on the top rope, does a cartwheel, and swings out into a DDT. Really impressive here. Now, if I'm WWE, and this is actually going to be a work, where somehow in the end, Drake Maverick ends up winning this tournament, I'd say it's probably best that he doesn't win the first match right out of the gate. You really want to keep backing him into a corner before he finally starts to pull out some wins here. So, the talk has been, perhaps maybe this is going to be a work, so to speak, where Drake Maverick's going to end up winning this, but we've yet to see any indication that they're they're leaning that way at this time. Up next, Tony Nese versus Kushida, Group A matchup for the Cruiserweight title tournament. These guys had a solid match. This match would have been over great with a crowd. A lot of action, a lot of dives, but everything was so crisp, and these two worked really well together. Uh, and even without a crowd... I was still into this match. So that shows you how how good this match was on this past Wednesday's episode of NXT. These guys, uh, Kushida ends up winning with the Sakura Laba Lock. Uh, it's a great way to build Kushida to look as strong as he did. They were billing him as the odds-on favorite to win this tournament. So a good way to have him come out against Tony Nese, a former Cruiserweight champion, and look as dominant as he did. It uh, sounds to me like at some point Kushida is going to get upset by maybe Drake Maverick, who are both in the Group A portion of this title tournament. Up next, we get a very well-produced segment with Johnny Gargano and Candice LeRae. Uh, I will make it sure if I haven't posted this video on our Twitter at PowerBombsPPN that I will. Uh, I'm telling you to go out of your way to watch this because it is very well done setting up the future direction of both Gargano in the men's division and Ray in the women's division. Uh, again, this was very well done. Ray has changed the color of her hair, and I feel that she was doing this and testing it a couple of months ago and then went back to the blonde, but I think that they have now finally pulled the trigger on her doing this. And good, give them both a, a fresh uh, coat of paint, and we will see... Uh, what the future holds for those two. Up next, Mia Yim has a match, but what's important to talk about is Charlotte Flair comes out after the match and lets it be known that her first NXT match years ago was against Mia Yim, and now she wants to return that favor, and she is going to give Mia Yim a match next week for not the women's title, but she's just going to give her a match. She then deems her a quote-unquote good hand, the old Daniel Bryan treatment from a couple years back and walks away. But we're going to get that match next week. I think if you give these girls some time, I think it's going to be, it's going to be fun to watch and you're going to get a lot of great 
women's matches with Charlotte now back working the NXT as well as Raw rosters. Okay. Next, we get a pre-taped promo in Zack Ryder's pool. Now, they don't tell you it's Zack Ryder's pool, but if, you know, you're on the internet and you see any footage of Zack Ryder and his girlfriend, maybe The Miz or John Morrison or Dolph Ziggler, they're always in this pool in his backyard. So I just find it interesting that uh, a week later, after Zack Ryder gets fired after being 14 years under contract, WWE goes and shoots an entire promo in his backyard. Uh, this promo is with Robert Stone and Chelsea Green. Now, I love the idea that they're lining up so many people for, for Charlotte. This promo basically was saying how she's coming after the NXT women's title. And I've said it before. Uh, Charlotte even said it on this show in that promo that she came out with Mia that the NXT women's division is the most dense out of all of the women's divisions between the three rosters. And I love the fact that they have the potential here for Charlotte to have so many great matches with these girls. There's a lot of talent down there on that NXT uh, women's division. So we're in kind of a weird time right now, but we can have Charlotte, like I said, go 20 minutes with these girls. They can use these match highlights as big highlight reels down the line uh, because Charlotte is the best out of any of those divisions, in my opinion. She's still the one who puts on the greatest matches, the most athletic, realistic matches out of anybody. I'd say the best overall hand of people that can run things is Bailey, but for big money matches that people will talk about, it's Charlotte Flair. Up next, Jack Gallagher versus Elijo De Fantasmo in a Group B matchup for the NXT Cruiserweight title tournament. Very physical match between these two. Super fast pace. In the end, Elijo De Fantasmo wins his debut match and gets his first win in the tournament. And if you recall last week, Akira Tozawa defeated Isaiah Swerve Scott in their Group B matchup. So, next up, we get an announcement that next week we're going to get that Mia Yim Charlotte Flair match in a non-title match. And Keith Lee versus Damian Priest for the North American title. Which we flip to coming back from the commercial break. We get another one of these segments where an SUV pulls up. Let's go back a few weeks and roll the tape from this very program and what I had to say about that. When an SUV pulls up, two masked guys get up. These guys, they look like they're maybe, maybe 100 pounds, 150 pounds each soaking wet wearing masks and they get out of the car like they're holding a gun to this guy's head and tell him to get in the car. Joe Ken Wild, the former DJZ, puts his hands in the air and doesn't want any trouble and just walks into this car. This is really freaking weird. Two weeks in a row now. It happened last week with Roll Mendoza and I feel like that is almost as bad as the Rhea Ripley Charlotte from Monday Night Raw. Who is taping these things? Who is letting them make air? Come on, let there be a struggle. This guy just had a match. He's mad. In his promo, he is talking about how upset he is that he keeps losing. So, naturally, you have somebody come up and approach him, and he just goes along with it. This makes absolutely no sense. So that being said, this was everything that I complained about it being. All right? 
El Ijo de Fantasmo fought these guys off and put up a struggle. And when they couldn't get him to cooperate, they drove off. That was my biggest argument weeks ago, and I'm glad that now this is the situation that they're that they're doing. Makes a hell of a lot more sense to me. Gives it more of a realistic aspect as well. All right, main event time here on NXT. Velveteen Dream and Keith Lee versus Roderick Strong and Adam Cole. I think I may have said earlier that it was Bobby Fish, but it was Roderick Strong in this match. Right away, Damian Priest comes out and attacks Keith Lee with an expandable baton. The announcer referred to it as a nightstick. Sidebar, my dad was a cop for 25 years. I know the difference between a nightstick, which is a club. It doesn't expand or go anywhere. It is a solid object. And you use that to hit pressure points and or strike when needed. An expandable baton comes from about... uh, It's got a handle that's about maybe... four inches long and you swing it out, which is what this did. And it expands to about foot and a half. And you use that to the same thing to hit pressure points and, uh, and, and hit people if necessary, uh, with, with force. So my point is, is that myself, somebody who's just the son of a cop knows what this is. The difference is, is that there's a world of cops and people who know police things that know the difference. So if they're going to start talking about police weapons that people see, they need to know their weapons right. That's just my two cents on that. Uh, If you have any problems with that, send your tweets to at PowerbombsPPN. They shot this match super tight here. So Keith Lee gets taken out apparently before the bell had even rang. Or the bell had rang. I'm, I'm not sure. I, I I was not paying attention to that because this match just started off. They were shooting the match super tight, like I said, for while well, Roderick Strong had a had an abdominal stretch on Velveteen Dream for it felt like a minute, minute and a half. Then we switch camera angles, and Dexter Loomis is now standing in the tag corner of the Velveteen Dream. Yeah. That sounds as awkward listening to it as awkward as it was watching it. No explanation. If you recall, Dexter Loomis has really been built as a creepy heel of sorts. We haven't actually gotten too much out of him, let alone the fact that they're going to jump right into putting him here in a main event spot. We already have enough people in the main event picture and haven't even gotten a a match out of Adam Cole with the people that are up there right now. So it's kind of weird if you ask me. We have yet to get the Finn Balor-Adam Cole match. We have yet to get the Velveteen Dream-Adam Cole match. And now you're going to add maybe Dexter Loomis? Very strange to me. Eventually, Velveteen Dream gets the hot tag to Dexter Loomis. Loomis is firing on all cylinders, hits a Thez press, fists a fire, and uh, then does an over-the-top rope uh, tope on to uh, Roderick Strong. Uh, as he was going for that, he tagged in the dream with the elbow off the top rope and pins Adam Cole. So this was very strange, like I said. Not sure as to why this match was booked this way, but hopefully it helps enhance the story of Dexter Loomis down the line. Because uh, if you ask me, it seemed like a guy who they were building up to be a menacing heel. But here he is in, I believe, week three, maybe week four of him being a character out on TV. And he's helping the baby face out. Not not, not normal, if you ask me. 
And we finally made it. Friday Night Smackdown. So I'm going to skip over this whole opening segment. It was Miz and Morrison, the New Day, the Lucha House Party, and I couldn't even tell you who else in a promo. I fast-forwarded through this. I couldn't fast-forward through this quick enough. Uh, we come back and we get a quick recap of what King Corbin did to Elias. And here's the take that I got from that. Not the recap video, but Miller Lite is now a sponsor of WWE. All right. That's uh, not very PG of WWE, but hey, I mean, I guess you know, you're taking the Saudi money and you're going to take the money from wherever you can. And if it's you know taking the money from a company that puts out a, a fine pilsner... Then you're gonna, you know, you're gonna put their uh, their graphic all over your uh, your TV at this point. Drew Gulak versus King Corbin up next in a Money in the Bank qualifying match. Corbin wins after interference from Cesaro and Nakamura. Uh, nothing really special here. We just have filled out the title, the uh, Money in the Bank tournament, just a little more. I'm a fan of this Jeff Hardy story that they've been telling. Each week they have a, about a three or four minute um, prepaid uh, package showing highlights and having him talk about his redemption story. Obviously, you know, he's had a, a very bad past with drugs and alcohol addiction. And uh, so this really helps get you up to date on the product as to who he is, if you don't already know him, uh, but also reminds you of how much of a white meat baby face this guy actually is and how beloved uh, of a character Jeff Hardy is. Sasha Banks versus Lacey Evans in a Money in the Bank qualifying match. Sasha bringing the heat to the ring, I said, right out of the gate. She walks out with a with a fan, like like a like a handheld fan that she's waving to fan herself. Uh, the The fan is a picture of Lacey Evans' daughter, Summer, on it as uh, she was fanning herself walking to the ring. Uh, it's a nice little homage to her NXT run where she walked out to the ring fanning herself with a fan with Summer Rae's picture on it some years ago. Uh, Sasha worked the right hand of Lacey Evans right out of the gate of this match uh, as she was trying to avoid the women's right. Totally cool. Makes sense there. Lacey did a good job of selling it, well, for as long as she could, even uh, having to bail on certain moves uh, because she would have had to put weight on the hand. I appreciated the selling to that point. Uh, next, Lacey Evans eventually hits the woman's right. Now, at this point, Sasha rolls, you'd think, out of the ring, but she stops right at the edge so that Lacey can pin her. Bailey puts her foot on the rope at two. At this point, Lacey grabs Bailey by the hair and goes to pull her in the ring, and then Sasha rolls up Lacey for several seconds before the ref finally turns around to make the count, which this is weird because if the roles were reversed. Sasha was the babyface getting the roll up there, that would make sense. But not with the heel. Usually the referees are always right there for the heels. Uh, so to me, that says that in the end of all this, Sasha's going to be the one that's going to go babyface when things finally fall apart between her and Bailey. Uh, she keeps putting herself out there to save Bailey, and then Bailey costs her matches in return. So eventually she'll get fed up, do the turn. If there's a crowd at that point, the crowd will you know, be happy. But then where do you go? That's kind of what I'm what I'm afraid about. Uh, at this point, Evans hits another woman's right, and the match is over. You know, so Lacey Evans is not qualified for the women's money in the bank match. Uh, Nikki Cross, Alexa Bliss defend the the women's tag titles against Dana Brooke and Carmella in a match that they've built for three weeks. 
that lasted all of about three minutes. Uh, so I guess they were running short on time for what came right after this. The 25th anniversary of Triple H celebration. Now, this starts out being really fun. He comes out with a water bottle in his hand and it gets taken away by a ring crew member wearing a face mask, obviously remembering you to practice social distancing, but not be spraying water in the air amidst this uh, COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, he starts to speak and Shawn Michaels' music instantly hits. We get HBK coming out to the ring. They then pretty much let Shawn Michaels host this segment. They play a montage of DX bloopers, followed by a montage of all of Triple H's losses at WrestleMania. He then refers to his Stephanie as no fun Stephanie. Immediately at this point, Triple H's phone rings over the loudspeakers, and he answers it, and Stephanie's FaceTiming him. And she's telling him that, you know, she hears what Sean says, and in the background they have the camera shot where she's live. Actually, they did this really well. Uh, she's legitimately on his phone, FaceTiming, and in the back you see Sean still there live in the ring, mocking her, and she's saying how she sees it live, and he hangs up on her. So that's fun. Uh, and then right after this, his phone rings again over the speaker and it's Ric Flair crying, which is another funny thing that they've always made fun of. Uh, but Ric Flair, classic putting Triple H over, still having fun here. Then we get a commercial break amidst this segment, just randomly in the middle of it, right as his phone's ringing again, we come back from commercial and he's FaceTiming with Road Dog. He quick gets off the, the phone with him. And here's where this segment runs off the track and crashes. Vince McMahon comes out, and courtesy of WWE.com, here is some of what Vince had to say. And there are people, no doubt, that are standing all over the world in appreciation of this. And if we had an arena here with people in it, they'd be standing as well. And you've heard the chant so many, many times of Triple H, Triple H. And on this occasion, though, they probably... It would only be the front row over here, just where your family comes for the pay-per-views. The rest of us would be chanting, boring, boring. I mean, you guys, not, not exactly totally boring, but been some other things in this world, NWB, that have been a little more boring. How about the gobbledygooker? That was a long time ago, but I thought we needed a mascot, so we promoted this great big egg for you know months it's like the all of a sudden it hatches it was at a survivor series in hartford connecticut which i think the undertaker made his debut and that could have been an omen because when the egg hatched i expected this great reaction and cheering there wasn't a yay there wasn't a boo nothing I'm not saying that your performance was that bad it's it's more like a, a katie vick kind of like thing I mean, uh, wow. Some of you don't know this, but here is, here is Paul, my son-in-law. I said it. Um, and he's naked, and he's in a funeral home, and this mannequin thing, and God, I have no idea why you stooped to those depths. That was, that was bad. And at least it was uh, not only boring, but in poor taste. And then uh, it's not all bad, because uh, I would like in your performance maybe to like... Uh, I know. Bailey, this is your life. Remember that one? That was crickets. Was it Bailey's fault, by the way? But nonetheless, I just want to say that 
your performance and you in general are truly just god awful. What a horrible way to go out. God awful. It's, it, it, pardon the expression, it sucked. I mean, I would use a word that someone near and dear, I hear it all the time from him. It was rotten. I mean, absolutely rotten. I'm ashamed of you guys. Oh my God. And if you haven't put everybody to sleep by now, I'll say good night and good night, Padre. Let's wrap it up, Padre. Yeah. So that, and then he walks out. They slowly turn out each set of lights, and then they play crickets over the speakers. Wow. I don't even know what to say, but besides this segment was entertaining at times and then got downright strange and cringeworthy. Uh, what did you guys think of this? I want to know what you guys thought of the Triple H 25th anniversary segment. Let us know on Twitter at Powerbombs PPN. I'll talk to you next week right here on Powerbombs and Potables. And until then, stay safe and stay over.